Hello and welcome to the Redland City Journal podcast. My name is Mark Parker. Today's guest is Kenneth Ford. Ken is a member of the Human Relations Commission for the City of Redlands. He is on staff at the YMCA, as well as a community activist. The reason I wanted to talk to Ken is at the last meeting of the Human Relations Commission, he raised the subject of hate crime and the need to educate the public on what hate hate crimes are and the importance of reporting them when you see them. This interview was recorded on March 22nd, 2021. The reason we're talking together is that you are a member of the, what Redlands calls the Human Relations Commission? Correct. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How, how did you get involved and what's its mission? Well, basically, um, I, I've been in Redlands about eight years now, and I, I truly believe that people should get involved in their community wherever they live. I, I've always believed that. Uh, even going back to high school, I was a member of a club called Interact, and the purpose of that club was to do community service. And so I've always believed in uh, community service in your community. So at the time um, when I got involved with the Human Relations Commission and I was looking at the, uh, Redlands has many different commissions, uh, the Human Relations Commission, the Parks and Recs Commission, the Planning Commission, Arts and Cultural Commission, many other commissions. Um, so I originally uh, was looking at which one uh, suited my um, interest the most. And of course, the title Human Relations Commission that uh, captured my attention first. And so I uh, applied for the position, uh, put in an application with the city. And initially, I was not selected when that first opening came up. And then the person who they did select, apparently that person was not able to fulfill their term. So they had to find someone else to replace that person that was me. So the city council uh, all voted for it and uh, that's how I became involved with it. And essentially the Human Relations Commission the title really says it all, human relations to develop better relations between people, between us humans and the uh, uh, city. And that's what we uh, try to do, provide um, and get involved with projects that will bring the community together. Also working and collaborating with other groups in the city to, um, try to bring a, a betterment of um, community relations to the people of the city of Redlands. And what do you think are the challenges? You're two years into your term. It's a four-year term. And Correct. So you've got a little bit of, you've got a chance to get your feet wet. So you're kind of moving into where you, you from being just a complete novice to the experience, you now should have some 
idea of, of how things are progressing. How how are we how are we doing? How would you how would you grade us? Well, of course, um, it's, it's been a huge challenge with the uh, whole pandemic situation going on and not having to do as many in-person projects as we would like to. Um, one project that I proposed right before the pandemic started was to look at putting uh, some type of music festival together where we would invite different genres of different music, rather uh, country, R&B, bluegrass, bringing different music um, genres together and having a huge event at one of our parks, beautiful parks here in Redlands. And as a way of bringing the community together, inviting other groups, nonprofits, other service agencies to set up booths there and um, bring the community together. And then of course the whole pandemic thing helped and that put the brakes on that project. So it's, it's been a huge challenge because we haven't been able to do things like that where we can bring massive groups and massive crowds together. Do you have specific challenges you're trying to address? Uh, yes, there are um, some uh, uh, huge uh, challenges here in Redlands that uh, we're trying to address. Um, and, and not only us, but um, other organizations, um, for example, the homeless situation here in Redlands, um, how not just how we can um, move it along, but specifically what can be done to help the homeless uproot their life to a better position and get out of their homeless situation. And also another area we're looking at is, is the, um, especially considering what's going on now in the country, the um, whole um, justice situation, um, as far as equal justice, um, um, also the um, uh, race relations, um, what can we do to help with that? Um, uh, one project that's been mentioned, for example, is uh, using uh, social media, for example, uh, posting something on our individual social media pages each day or each week of some act of kindness we witness towards another human being and hoping that will spread out. And also, um, making the um, Redland citizenry aware more of what's going on in the city and bringing each other more together. Um, doing projects with the downtown businesses, for example, um, uh, posting some type of uh, uh, citizen um, helpfulness, where kind of what I just mentioned about social media, where businesses were posted something in their stores, how to, um, that they support Redlands Unity, for example. 
So it's, it's trying to get the whole community involved in uh, bringing the citizens together. Because Redlands is a great place to live. It has fantastic, great people in it. But we do have some challenges. Um, there are some uh, race issues that do need to be addressed. Uh, uh, many citizens feel that they're not uh, inclusive enough into uh, what's going on in the city or with the city's policing that they don't get their fair share of city policing. So there, there are things that we can do as a commission to help bring these groups together and and try to bring a dialogue between them and hopefully um, start uh, making progress toward more unity. How do you feel um, now, you know, with two years under your belt, how do you feel the city staff and the and the city council respond to your to your work as a as a commission? Are they open to you responsive or are they more patronizing and it's a pat you on the head and kind of move along with their agenda and you know thank you for thank you for your 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 recommendations <laughs> Kenneth uh, we will take them into consideration in, the, in, in our future decisions and uh, next item on the agenda is <laughs> yeah I, I, I see what you're saying um, I, I I really believe in uh, hopefully I won't uh, Ruffle too many feathers with this comment. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put you on the hot seat, Kenneth. Oh, oh, it's so it's okay. Uh, those who know me uh, know that I have no problem with speaking my mind. Um, I uh, a, a lot of it starts with the commission itself, um, and there has been some issues with our human relations commission where some members feel, well, the city is only gonna let us do this much or that much of this or that. So well, that's the way it is. So uh, maybe we should leave that alone or maybe we shouldn't try to take on this or that project because eh, the city's not gonna approve it. They're not gonna let us do it. Uh, they're only gonna pay us lip service to it. So it starts with the commission itself. We, we as a commission have to believe in things we can do and try to convince the city, okay, this is what we need to do because this is gonna be the benefit of it and what's gonna help the city. And the city is willing to listen, at least that's my experience and my feeling but some commissioners do feel like, oh, well, there's no use of trying this because the city's not gonna listen to us. And I believe they will. And there's been a couple of things that have come up recently where the city did listen to us. And um, we were able to proceed with some things, small steps as they are, but it's a good example of what the city, the city is willing to listen to us as long as we present them a plan of this is why this needs to be done or this is why this project we want to take on. But the whole commission as a whole needs to have more 
faith, if you will, in what the city is willing to listen to us on. Okay, let's work through a couple of the items that you mentioned that you that you think are priorities. Homelessness. What are we doing for the homeless? What are we doing for the population? What are we doing to to shelter homeless people in the city of Redlands? Or are we simply just moving them along and making life difficult for them so that they don't stay in Redlands? Pitch their tent in San Bernardino. Go pitch your tent in the Wash. Go pitch your tent in Highland or where, just don't be around. I mean, you, I, and I see that attitude with citizens. A lot of citizens just want us to make life miserable for the homeless and so that they don't stick around. Uh, right. <clears throat> Unfortunately, um, that's true. Um, uh, sometimes it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, like, like the old, old saying about prisons, for example, a lot of citizens across the country, oh, yeah, we need more prisons. We need to lock up the bad people, but don't build one in my city or my backyard, so to speak. But with the homeless, and uh, we do have some of that in Redlands, uh, uh, some citizens, uh, yeah, um, just uh, move them along, not around here. But there are some great programs here in Redlands that are starting to address that. Um, for example, you got an organization called Renew and Refresh, and what they do is provide showers for the homeless. Um, the YMCA, even during the pandemic, the YMCA uh, provided showers for for the homeless. Um, you have uh, uh, the food program that the uh, Redlands uh, Charitable Resource Council is doing with other organizations, providing daily meals for the homeless in different locations, uh, especially um, during the summer. They did a lot of that at different locations. You got groups like Family Services here in uh, Redlands that provides um, um, clothing, uh, food programs. Um, they help um with um hotel vouchers um and so there's there's a lot of interagency cooperation that's starting to help happen to uh uh help the homeless get back on their feet um different grants and federal programs that different agencies here in redlands are applying for now to help the homeless and and trying to provide more shelter, um, educate to educate them on how to get out of their homeless situation. And unfortunately, and this is something I don't feel that is talked about enough, there are a number of homeless people that actually want to stay homeless. They don't want any help. Um, I've talked to some personally, like, you know, as I get around the city, uh, you know, I try to find out what's going on with people, you know, what brought you in this situation. And then as they tell me their story, then the other part of that story is, well, I don't want to go to the Salvation Army for help. I don't want to go to such and such church, even though I know they provide shelter. So the other sad part about it is it's almost like a subgroup those who don't want to get out of that situation and okay that's probably the next big step is what do you do with those and how do you help those that don't pretty much don't want to help themselves so to speak 
So that's probably the next step that's going to need to be taken. Well, there's a different one of the problems I see with something like Salvation Army or a lot of a lot of the uh, church-based um, charitable efforts is the religion aspect. Is that part of there's a there's a anxiety around uh, that, that certain individuals feel towards being evangelized by the Salvation Army or by some church that offers help because it is that's it doesn't it's not presented as transactional but in, but it can be certainly perceived that way by some of the beneficiaries of the programs that um, you know <clears throat> your experience with Jesus may not be so hot but these people are the only ones offering food and they're going to, want you to listen to their spiel about Jesus so um, Could, is that a factor in why some people are resistant to take help from some of these organizations? Uh, yes, it is. And I can actually state that for a fact that it is because um, uh, many homeless people have expressed that concern. And, and that's something that the uh, church groups do need to address. Um, yeah, it's great what you're doing helping the homeless, providing shelter, shelter, food, um, showers. But a lot of homeless people do look at that as, okay, if I go to this or that religious organization for help, I'm not there to hear a sermon. I'm just there to get help with my homelessness. And that is something, and, and I understand where the church is coming from in doing that. And many of them are very sincere in helping people with their spiritual uplifting, if you will. But at the same time, the primary mission, first above all, should be to just to assist them, the homeless, out of their situation. And then if they say, or they, the church can say, we have this spiritual aspect to offer you if you want it then those who want it can say okay yeah I, I would like to hear your sermon or come to your sermon or a service but to make that sort of part of the program yeah that does dissuade a lot of homeless from seeking that help and kind of on on the heels of that i would think that addiction is a factor if you're not ready to deal with your addiction a lot of the services require your you to maybe not for a shower you probably don't need to uh clean up your addiction issues um to get a shower but i would think for some of the uh the housing requirements are typically require you to be clean while you're being housed is that correct you're right that that is correct and, and again that's uh part of the problem too because it's a multifaceted problem. It's not just the issue of being homeless, but like you said, um, in some housing situations and even in some shelter situations, they require that person to be clean and sober from substance abuse. And uh, many of your homeless are not. And so that does create another problem. 
One last question on homelessness. Is, is some of this then seems to me like a, a, a matter of policy, not, not just mobilizing local charities, but actual commitment in terms of policy and resources by the city. Um, if not the city, the city and or county and or state, right? So government policy should play a big role in this. And what do we, are we committing any resources to addressing homelessness in the city? Or are we passing the buck to the county and the county passing the buck to the state? Uh, it, it's a joint program with the county and state. Um, they, they are looking more and more how they can collaborate together because it is a transitional problem. You have a homeless person in, say, San Bernardino, for example, that ends up in Redlands, or one in Redlands that ends up in the city of Highland. So it is a transitional problem that the county does recognize and these individual cities recognize and they do understand that it is going to take a collaborative effort. Okay. So most of our money, any money that we do spend is probably grant money? Correct. Okay. And, and, and most of it is, but obviously it is going to have to be some city money involved. Some a percentage in terms of like matching funds uh, from, either, that, from the general budget? Correct. Either matching funds or city resources um, of some okay. kind, so. So many man hours, so Co Correct. Okay. Um, all right, let's, I don't want, you're generous to meet with me early in the morning, I appreciate it. I don't wanna take up too much of your time. So let's, let's go to race and then let's talk about uh, hate crimes, which is an issue that you brought up at the last uh, commission meeting. So first race in Redlands. Let me ask it as mundane as this. What does it feel like to be a black man in Redlands? <laughs> okay. Um, <clears throat> for me, it's, uh, it hasn't been too big of an issue. Um, I, um, and, and, and I, and I'll just, Put, put this out there because it is, it's, it's no secret. We, we uh, uh, one, one of our um, <clears throat> commission meetings, we talked about, uh, uh, about the issue of um, uh, what do people, um, we as commissioners, what advantages do we have that other races perhaps do not have or what, what do we experience that we do not have to worry about when it comes to the issue of race or discrimination? But not only as a black man, but as a gay black man. And most people first encounter with me would not associate me as being gay because I don't fit the atypical persona of a gay person. Um, so I, I don't really have to deal with that much, but I've had some issues with, not with myself, with the, but with other people um, on a discriminatory basis. And as I mentioned in the commission meeting, um, people 
one of the things that um, our subcommittee that's dealing with that issue needs to do that I recommended was people need to be educated more on exactly what constitute race discrimination. Because I believe the general public does not know fully or does not fully understand when they're being discriminated against and what their rights are when it comes to that. So that's one of the things that I um, propose that uh, they look at uh, educating the public more on that. Um, Redlands <clears throat> is a great place to live, um, but we, we do have some race issues here in the city. Um, a lot of your uh, minority communities here in Redlands um, do not feel comfortable with the uh, Redlands PD. Um, if nothing else, because of what's going on in the country. But my encounter with the Redlands PD has actually been very good. I've um, can honestly say I have not had any racial issues with the Redlands PD. Um, I think they're one of the better um, trained uh, departments in the Inland Empire and dealing with uh, race issues here in the city as compared to other cities. Um, but we do have some issues that uh, we need to address in the race department, but because Redlands is such a great city, a lot of that undertone people tend to overlook or ignore that we do have some race issues we need to deal with. Can we be specific in terms, just a, a, maybe an example or two of what that looks like? Uh, sure. Um, for example, um, in the, uh, say, the um, um, certain areas of the north end of Redlands, um, and this is coming specifically from citizens I've talked to um, or have talked to me, have came up to me, they, they feel that if they have a, a police issue where they need the police, for example, they feel that they do not get as fast as a response as say some of your wealthier neighborhoods. Um, they feel that the city is not as responsive to their needs, rather it's fixing a street light as some of the wealthier neighborhoods. The city will go out and take care of an issue there more than in their neighborhood. Um, but again, that's where the education part comes in. Uh, for example, I had a citizen in uh, the North End, for example, recently say, uh, yeah, this street light over here, I mean, he took me to it, pointed out, said, that street light has been out for the last month and no one's doing anything about it. Uh, well, then of course, my first question to him, well, have you told the city about it? Well, what are they going to do? Well, <laughs> that was his first response. So I so after I informed him of, okay, this is who you call for this or that issue. And like four days later, the issue was taken care of. 
So a lot of it is, is I, I really believe is if we can educate the citizenry more that this, that the city is, is willing to help all parts of Redlands. But you have to be, again, like I started off saying, being involved in your community, being willing to um, see what's going on in your city, learn who to call for this problem or this issue or that issue. And then I think they will see that the city has, a, they still have some issues, but they will be a lot more responsive once you, once you as a citizen do your part also and take more a more active role in learning who to call for different situations. Yeah, I've lived on this north end of Redlands for over 10 years now. And um, I don't know if, if it's better or worse. Something that came to my mind is that I do see police patrol our area. Were I to guess, they, they, when you mentioned that there are concerns of that people feel actually underserved by police, I was thinking more in terms of Redlands, the, the North End possibly being uh, more heavily patrolled, which is itself a controversy. Um, right, it is. I don't know. It's it's that's the kind of thing that the city actually has to document. You can only you you need actual studies to know, uh, and I don't know to what degree we commit uh, resources. Uh, maybe you do. Uh, yes, they do. They they do know that. And and they are aware of it, and and some some things um, uh, sometimes it's hard to get accurate numbers on that because again that's where the citizens come in. For example, dealing with hate crime. For example, those numbers as I mentioned at our last human relations commission meeting, I believe those numbers are are very underestimated because a lot of people who are victims of hate crimes will not report it. Right. So right. Those, those numbers, for example, are, are definitely underreported. Well, it, it, with, with crime too, it's also difficult. It's, it's like uh, drilling for, for water. You know, you, you, it, the police are going to go where the crime is. And it's, it's, if, if you have, you know, um, highly visible, you know, the kind of crimes that police, you can have all kinds of crimes happening anywhere, but in terms of the kinds of crimes that get reported, gun crimes, uh, domestic violence that breaks out into a neighborhood, um, you can have domestic violence hidden for years behind the walls of a house and nobody, that no one knows about, and police never respond to it. But if you have the kind of situation where smaller houses in a more densely populated neighborhood, neighbors are going to hear hear more. There'll be more calls. Police will come, and so you know you can have all sorts of mischief occurring in a large, you know, one of you know one of the more expensive neighborhoods of South Redlands that no one that police don't respond to because they're never called in upon, but Whereas you, you can have domestic violence in, say, the neighborhood I came from out on, say, 
uh, we, we recently moved, but the house we lived in was a, one of those, it was a small house, 1,460 square feet on a relatively small lot with a lot of other little houses just like it. And I'm sure everybody heard everything. I mean, you, you know, you, you could hear when the neighbors had a bad night, right? I mean, it was just, <laughs> it was, I'm not even talking about uh, anything criminal. I'm just talking about just, you know, teenage kid is being mouthy. You heard it, you know, especially in summer when people got their windows open or something. Right. And, and I, and maybe that's why uh, I see more patrol cars in my neighborhood. You know, it's just because those were small houses and they were, there was more reporting of, uh, and so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. And certainly, you know, economics play a role. Um, but you, so you have, seems like you have two sources of, of data. I'm talking too much. Let me try to turn this into something like a question, but you have the, you have the, the police data cause they can, they certainly track their, their calls, I assume. You know, right. where they where they dispatch officers. That's all should be data readily available. And then you have the other side, um, the citizen side, which is a little more complicated. How do you know you have from the citizen side, you have the um, you, you have calls that are made, you know, you, you, you call 911 and you seek help, but then you have the calls that aren't made, right? Like you mentioned, um, it's either, you have lots of reasons not to call the police, right? In certain, in certain neighborhoods and certain uh, demographics. If right. you have, you know, if you're Latino and uh, say half your family in the household are undocumented and the other half are, and are you, do you really want to bring the police around? Uh, if, exactly. And you say uh, 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 African-Americans, same, not the same identical problem, but very, they have also negative experiences with, uh, you come from a certain city that didn't have good policing. And they, they, did, they did abuse their authority. And you moved to Redlands for a better life, so to speak, or you just found yourself here for whatever reason. And um, you may not have, you may bring over, you may import your lack of confidence, or your negative experiences with, with law enforcement into town. You may get lots of help from Redlands Police, but you may not know it and may be reticent to make a call just because of your past experience. So I, it's just, it's, yeah, go ahead. Just talk, to, respond to that in any way you want to. My apologies <laughs> for talking so much. So okay now no no um that's <clears throat> that's exactly it um uh, the point I I was going to bring up that a lot of times it's because of what's going on in a person's previous city especially with minorities or even what's going on with around the country right now with the number for example of unarmed um, blacks being uh, shot by police so even if in a city like Redlands where there is a good police response and like you said um, perhaps even more patrolling in certain uh, minority neighborhoods they're still reluctant to call the police because of that negative experience that they've experienced in another city or because they see what's going on around the country 
well, do I really want to have that interaction with the police here? No, nah, that's okay. I just want to report this or that incident. So that that is a big issue that needs to be addressed to um, uh, make the police um, um, to get the citizens to feel more comfortable with contacting their law enforcement agencies. Uh, a couple months ago, there was an event up here at Ranch Market here in Redlands where they, um, uh, the police uh, force was out there and citizens were invited to come and just talk to the police, express their concerns, ask questions. And it was a so-so <clears throat> turnout. Um, it would have been nice if we had more citizens come and talk to the police and express their concerns and, and uh, ask them questions because that's how the dialogue, dialogue starts in these um, community events like that. So we have to, um, um, all of us have to be more uh, proactive in that area and encouraging each other to um, not be afraid to get involved with the police and, and uh, to report uh, crime more. Uh, there's a there's a big move to uh, I've I've seen this from from people uh, Democrats progressives uh, urging people not to call police um, when it involves people of color. Yeah, I, I yeah I, I'm I'm familiar with that. Um, I, I disagree with it. Um, it's 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 like the the whole whole uh, going back to the whole vaccine situation, even because of what what happened with you know going back in time, um, how minorities were um, lied to and uh, used as guinea pigs for uh, different medical testings without their knowledge. So a lot of minorities are reluctant to get vaccinated, for example. Um, so the same thing applies here. Yeah, there's a lot that, is hap that has happened and that is still happening across the country. However, staying away from the problem or ignoring the problem is not going to help. We need to, like, again, like events like up at Ranch Market where we have these community events where the police are there to talk to the citizens, especially as minorities, go to those uh, events, talk to your local PD, ask them questions, express your concerns and see what's going on. Uh, for example, when I was there, one of the concerns that I asked some officers was, what type of training they have, if any, to deal with, um, for example, special needs, um, whether they're children, adults, seniors, um, what type of training, if any, have they had in dealing with people with autism and other special needs, for example. Um, that, that's those kind of events minorities especially need to attend. They need to go to and see what's going on. Um, I, I used to work for the San Bernardino School District and I would see 
a very, very, even in high minority schools, a very, very low turnout at PTA meetings from minority parents, for example. But yet they complain about what's going on in the school or, or their school is not getting as much uh, federal funds or getting the best teachers like some of the students at the higher income school areas. Well, you as a parent need to get involved with your school to see what's going on and work to make these changes and demand these changes from your local board. The same with policing and race relations. We as a community, as minorities need to get more involved. Not calling the police is not gonna help the situation. It's just gonna make it worse in my opinion. Well, I mean, just back to domestic violence, for example, you can't have, just because a man is, is of a given skin color or ethnicity, he can't be allowed to uh, abuse his children or his partner, um, or her, for that matter, uh, just because of their ethnic background. I mean, you just, you, it, it's, that's not a sustainable solution. We'll call exactly. we'll call a social worker for 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 this person, but you know, and hope that he can, that the the social worker can help. But in the end, odds are it's a law enforcement problem, at least for the, to protect the, the 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 victims, right? I mean, you're, you're, right. it's it's a recipe to guarantee or to, it's a recipe to perpetuate more victimization of an already disproportionately victimized population exactly and, and you know i i love the progressiveness that's going on out there but like you said sometimes they don't totally think out the policies that they're trying to push forward because like like that that's really a great example that you just use you know it's it's you know eventually law enforcement has to get involved in that domestic situation especially when there's kids involved has the Human Relations Commission set up specific events like what you mentioned at the ranch market? Or is that something law enforcement did on its own? Um, well, first of all, we do have a student representative on the commission. Um, there is a student uh, representative. And um, so far, the, the couple years that I've been on there, we've had uh, great students who really believe in getting involved in their community and reaching out to their fellow students, let them know what's going on and trying to get them <clears throat> more involved in their community and different projects. So, and that's a good start. That That's a real good start. Um, but uh, yes, um, in answer to the other question, yes, we have um, looked at doing things like that. Um, that was, not one of our projects. I, I was there um, because uh, another community group I'm involved with is called the Common Vision Coalition. And um, so I was there because of that. Um, but that is something down the road that um, I personally am uh, looking at proposing uh, to the commission that uh, we look at start to do more projects like that, especially as things open up more and we can bring more bigger crowds together. 
And then just one last question on this subject is what you, you, you lived in San Bernardino, you said before you came to Redlands? Correct. Uh, and, um, other than the aesthetics, do you feel, I mean, because Redlands has a certain aesthetic that's, it's, it's more trees, more, lots of nice parks. It's, it's got an image of being lower crime, more prosperous, more expensive to live in than San Bernardino. But other than those sort of superficial differences, how, how would you compare your experiences living as a gay black man in San Bernardino versus living as a gay black man in Redlands? Um, it's, um, and, and I'm, I'm basing this, this comment based on what I see, not only my own personal experience, but what I see around Redlands. Um, it's a lot more, uh, accepting here in Redlands. More accepting uh, gay or black or both? Both. Okay. It's a lot more accepting, a lot more easier um, to um, navigate uh, around the city without having to be concerned. At the last meeting, you, you brought up the subject as an issue of concern for the, for the commission to work on. Um, what was on your mind when you brought that up? Well, one, because um, we, we were part of that discussion was talking about um, different uh, crime statistics and what's going on with hate crimes. And, and I, I felt that the numbers were not, um, number one, the numbers were underrepresented because um, a lot of times victims of hate, hate crimes, regardless of their ethnicity many times will not report it and not only not report it but not know what hate crime is what they can legally do about it i had an incident uh, that i mentioned at that uh, commission meeting where um, a young man uh, proceeded to call me you effing faggot this and you faggot that and this and that and so on those lines and so i i called the pd on him and that did not happen here in redlands by the way it happened in fontana i called the pd on him but again as being as, as i mentioned at that meeting being educated and working on educating the public what a hate crime is and police responded and and this Gentleman was at work at the time, but the incident happened somewhere else. But I remembered his face. I told myself, one day we'll see each other again. This was like four months later. And I walked in this store and there he was working behind the counter. First, I asked for the manager. I doubt, looked like he didn't remember me. I just asked for the manager very politely and casually. And I explained to her, your clerk over there, this is what happened. This is when it happened. This is what he did. I called the police. They're on their way, just so you know. And yeah, so they came out, they talked to him and they talked to me and 
They said, well, Mr. Ford, here's the situation. If you want us to arrest him, we can. That is a hate crime, what he did. He admitted it. Um, if he was to apologize to you, would that suffice? Or would you want him arrested? I said, well, depends on what he has to say. And, you know, we'll go from there. So I accepted his apology. And... Now, whether he did it sincerely or because he didn't want to go to jail, only he knows. But it sounded sincere, but perhaps even more important than that, hopefully he learned a good lesson that, hey, um, that was not good what I did. And hey, I could lose my freedom over something stupid just for saying some stupid words. So that along, like you said, with the increase in hate crime. And again, that's where the education with the public come in, as I mentioned at that commission meeting where we need to educate the public more on what hate, hate crimes are and what's going on. I heard uh, just a couple of days ago, someone told me, I did not realize all the hate that was going on against Asians until now, this, after what happened um, with the recent massacre and and again, of course, Trump's rhetoric during the um, pandemic did not help. Um, so we as a commission, I think one of the things we can do to help with that is to educate people, um, rather it's developing forms, uh, rather it's doing uh, massive uh, uh, webinars or social media meetings on Zoom and inviting the public in and having uh, perhaps maybe some law enforcement and social service people um, on there and explaining, okay, this is what a hate crime is. These are the type of hate crimes that can be reported and should be reported to law enforcement that you do not have to tolerate, you do not have to put up with. I was surprised that you said that the police were willing to arrest the man, and then four months later, um, how did what were the specifics um, uh, in terms of? I mean, any idea what got him, what 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 started him off? I mean, had you I mean, any idea the chain of events there, uh, or was have, it just random? Have, yeah, I ha have no clue. I have no clue. Um, he just, um, like, like, first of all, I'm 60 years old. I've been open my entire life as a gay man. I've never been one of those that's been in a closet. I don't flaunt it, but I don't hide it either. And, um, so, um, he, for whatever reason, he just decided that, uh, he was going to be, um, spouting off. Um, and, and one reason, though, that triggered it was because he wanted to go into a certain establishment that um, I had control over who goes in and who doesn't. And um, he was definitely not in the right uh, frame of mind to go in there. So I told him he couldn't go in. And I think that probably precipitated him to go off on his rant. And, uh, I see. So you were at your place. You were at your place of work when this happened then. Right. And so then you ran he... into him at his place of work four months later. Right. Okay. Interesting. Because 
because yeah, because at the, at that time time it was um, at the time when it happened, um, he left without other than his verbal tirade. He left without incident, and I was had like you know fifty other people to deal with, so I couldn't take time out to deal with that. I like I said I just told myself. I'll see him again one day. I knew he was a local. Um, and sure enough, four months later, I ran into him and uh, proceeded to hopefully, hopefully taught him a good lesson. Well, and, how do we make populations feel safe? That, I mean, I think that maybe is, is for a place like Redlands, a, a way to start. Uh, a lot of that, uh, and, and a lot of it starts not only here at our local level, but it starts at the national level. Um, again, the rhetoric that someone like Trump um, spewed, um, like with um, the young young uh, guy that uh, shot those uh, three people in Wisconsin, you know, oh, he was there protecting businesses, and you know, he could have been killed himself, and you know, <clears throat> or like. Uh, uh, who was it, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, when he said, oh, I felt perfectly safe when the insurrection happened at the Capitol, but if it was Black Lives Matter, then I would have felt in danger. So the rhetoric starts from the top. They have to set the example. But we can't control then, them. But we can't, we don't have yeah. any, they're not going to listen to us. Kenneth. Right. They're not going to, they, they don't, you know, whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump, they're not going to listen to us. Most congressmen don't listen to us. It's hard to get our own <laughs> congressmen to listen to us, right? Right. Have you tried to get through to Pete Aguilar's office? It's y um, yes, I have actually. Okay, and how did that go for you? <laughs> well, actually, you, you know, actually, I I've had pretty I, I I've actually had pretty good luck getting through. For some reason, I, I don't know, I have this knack with um, political people. I Going back to Jerry Brown, I literally called his office one day about an issue when he was governor of California, and I was able to get through. So I, I don't know what it is, but yeah. I'll call you Jerry's... next time. I want Next time I have a message <laughs> for these guys, I'll call you. <laughs> but but, but I, I, I do know what you're saying, though. I, I, I do understand what you're saying. Donald Trump is not the last um, bad actor to come out of the to sit in the White House, or to or or national level politician. How do we keep their toxicity from 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 uh, infiltrating our community, the place where we live? Well, it is it's tough, and and it, it probably won't. It probably um, it's probably no way we can actually, um, which may sound terrible to say, but there's probably no way we can. Sometimes some things just the way they are, and there's nothing you can do about it, no matter how much you try. Um, I remember I was watching an interview recently where a political reporter was asking this one political analyst what do you think is going to take someone like Mike Pence to change his mind about supporting Trump? I mean, and then this person, I, I love the answer. To me, that pretty much sums it up. 
this person said, well, if you think about the insurrection that happened at the White House, <clears throat> and Mike Pence's wife was there with him and other members of his family, and they came that close to calling out lynching him and his family being in danger too, and yet he still supports Trump. He's, he's, he's never going to give up supporting Trump. People like that, if that his family being in danger didn't change his mind, what else is going to change his mind? And so a lot of that is not going to change from the national level. But from the local level, we as citizens can get more involved in our community, especially here in Redlands, the type of community we have where there's always cultural events going on, um, events uh, with law enforcement going on. We need to figure out a way to get the citizens out there, get them more involved and in communicating with each other and seeing what's going on, talking to their local law enforcement. Uh, again, the, the event that was up at Ranch Market, Market, I personally was disappointed in the number of citizens that came out. Because um, again, with all the complaining you hear about law enforcement and, and, and not helping, not being there, well, this was your chance as a citizen to express that concern to them face to face and ask them about this or that or their response time in this or that situation or about your community specifically or your neighborhood specifically. So citizens as a whole needs to get more involved in those type of activities and express their concerns and were you involved? Okay, let me ask you this. Sorry to interrupt, but were you involved in in any of the uh, Black Lives Matter uh, marches that that uh, occurred in Redlands last year? Um, no, I wasn't. And the the reason why I was not involved specifically was because of the whole COVID situation. Um, to me, it was just too many people crowded together. And yeah, and it's, it's just, you know, and so even in situations like that where, yeah, you might not physically be able to be present, but there are things you can do still to help in situations like that, encourage your, your neighbors to get more involved in their community, encourage them to, read more, see what's going on in their committees, attend their city council meetings, attend their different commission meetings, and, and see what's going on. See, see what the issues are in your city that surrounds you. The, the reason I asked is uh, in response to that at some point, um, our, our new mayor, our current uh, Paul Barich, um, participated in organizing a... Um, a kind of counter protest. Um, are, are you aware of that? Yes. Does that concern you at all? That we have a mayor now in Redlands that that um, could disrupt our, for lack of a better phrase, racial harmony, such as we have here in Redlands. 
Are you concerned that, that, that his presence at the top of, of, of city government in Redlands could, could uh, make things worse? Yeah, I see. I, yes, I see what you're saying. No, knowing the rest of the city council, I'm, I truly feel that they will not let that happen. If it does, I will be extremely shocked if it did. He certainly seems like he's taking a very conciliatory tone. Yes, and and that was uh, again. That's where I, I, I hope and I, I, I feel that again. Knowing the rest of the city council, I, I believe that they will keep him in check, if you will. And if it got worse, I again, I would be very shocked. In your two years on the commission, have you worked with him at all? I. Uh, I, I haven't really worked with him directly. Um, I do know he did uh, uh, was one of the supporting voices in my uh, being selected to the commission. Do the council liaisons regularly show up to the meeting? Uh, yes, they do. Yeah, they, they've been real good about that and real good about uh, giving their input. Uh, again, like I mentioned way earlier when we started, talking about the commission, um, um, you know, how does the council perceive, see us? For example, uh, I guess for me, somewhat of a minor issue. Um, some members felt perhaps we needed to have more meetings than sometimes than meeting just once a month. And some of the members were like, oh, the council's not going to let us do that. We can't. And I'm like, let's not give up without even trying, okay? Because my, I already knew that there would be, I felt there would be no issue at all with meeting more if we wanted to. And then Councilmember Tejeda verified that, sure, if you guys want to have more meetings, then just once every other month, go ahead. So it's, it, 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 again, that's one of those, uh, that was some, a little more minor issue, but that was one of those incidents where some members just wanna not push back a little bit more on what they wanna do. The only way you're gonna find out how the council feels is whatever bold idea or project you think the commission should do is present it to the council. And then if they say no, okay, well, no, well, hold on council. This is why this needs to be done. At least put it out there and try. But some of our members are not ready to be that bold. So How do you feel so, about the members? Because, well, I don't recall seeing uh, Jenna Guzman-Lowry at the last meeting, but it was one of those Zoom meetings, so it's hard to tell who is or who isn't in a call. Was she there right. in attendance? Uh, no, she wasn't. And this was, but this would have been her first meeting since being seated on the council? Correct. 
did you reach out to her and try to find out why she didn't attend? Um, that's something that our chairman would have done. Um, so I suspect uh, at the next meeting, it will probably uh, come up. But uh, again, council member Tejeda was there. So, oh, he was? Okay. Yes. Um, uh, so is the, does, is the chair rotating there? Because they don't, I don't see on the, on the city webpage again, doesn't show me who is chairman of the council. Who is your chairman? Uh, the Human Relations Commission. Uh, excuse me, not council, the commission. Yeah. Yes, the human rights. Yeah, her name is Stephanie Miranda. And, and is that one year or is do you, how, how do you guys select uh, what we do is every January we have a um, a uh, seminar, if you will, amongst the members where we set our agenda for the upcoming year, uh, projects we want to work on and try to do and also elect officers for that year. Okay. So every year. Chairman, then... Yeah, chairman, vice chairman, treasurer, secretary, etc. Uh, it, just to wrap up, any ideas on 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 how to um, improve your council, your commission? Um, anything you would you would like changed on it to see it perform better, or is that too is that better? An answer declined. I mean, <laughs> or a question you rather not comment. No comment. <laughs> I forget I asked it. Just forget I asked it. Yeah, you don't need those. I don't want to cause you those many. I want you to come back, Kenneth. I don't want you to uh, stay away from me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it did I, seem, let me ask no, you this. I, I, oh, go ahead. No, I, I actually, I, I don't mind answering that. Actually, uh, some of this I have brought up um, with um, in either a meeting or with or talking to another commissioner. So yeah, so it's it's fine. Uh, the, I just wondered the Zoom experience. This the COVID impact on these meetings. Uh, this is the first commission. This last month was the first commission meeting I ever sat in on, and it was over the Zoom. And there's parts of it were like watching paint dry. Um, it's so lethargic. And I don't. Is that just because of the nature of the of this uh, online committee? Uh, environment on Zoom or on whatever platform people are using. Is that why it's just because people are afraid of talking over each other or is, are, were your in-person meetings more energetic? Uh, yes, uh, that that's part of it. People are worried about talking over each other and and, and uh, you know, personally, I do prefer the more in-person meetings, and which which that's something I I wish we could do because there's only eight members on the commission, so there's no reason we can't meet in person and social distance. But the city is doing that with all their meetings, of course, even their city council meetings over Zoom. Um, but um, it, it is something that um, one of the things that I would like the commission to do is to um, 
Um, yeah, you, you want to listen to everyone's opinion, hear what everyone has to say. But at the same time, you have to recognize when it's time to move on to another topic. Uh, for example, and, and I'm not divulging anything privately with this next comment comments because this is all on public record. All of our meetings, anyone who wants to look up the meetings minutes can do so or come to the meetings. We were, one of the things we were discussing at our meeting before our last meeting was the whole situation, probably what heard what happened between um, council member Denise Davis and council member Eddie Tejeda. And one of our members brought up that perhaps we as a commission should issue a statement on that, on how we feel about the whole idea of how the mayor system should operate in wrestling. Redland, should it continue as it is? Or should we support Councilmember Denise Davis' proposal? And, and, and in that process, some commission members had not seen that council meeting or read the transcript of what happened. And they said that at the start of that discussion. So I propose that we table that discussion till our next meeting for those council, for those commission members that had not seen the meeting or not heard what had happened fully. And then one commissioner, and I'm really not sure it was again, because we were on Zoom and someone just blurred out, well, Ken, you can't assume that all of us did not see that. Well, hello, a minute ago, a couple of members said they did not see it. So that's how I know some members of the commission did not see it. They said they didn't. So that's why I propose we table it to the next meeting. So it went round and round for like literally a half hour, 40 minutes on that topic. Till finally it was decided to table that till the next meeting. Well, that's what I said 40 minutes ago. <laughs> so, well, so, it's a table and then and then it, when it was revisited at the last meeting, right? It just people right. decided to let it go because Right, right. They they felt that it was something that the commission did not need and should not take a position on something like that. Um, that wasn't that's not really part of our role and uh, one commissioner in particular wanted to make them that started the discussion and I, I i said well why don't you go ahead and make a motion it can be voted up or down and then she stated well there's really no need to make the most because it seems like everyone's made up their mind that they're not in favor of it which was true but okay, well then fine, let's drop it and move on to the next business and not let, not waste our time. So that that would be, I say, I would say the one thing I would say I would hope more commissioners would take their time not to waste their time on a needless or pointless discussion that's not going to go anywhere 
and get down to more of the points that we really want to get to. How did you feel, last question here, how did you feel the commission, the members of the commission uh, responded to your bringing up hate crimes as a subject for the commission to address? Well, well going, going back to what you said, um, I, I did pick that up also. It's, I'm glad I'm not the only one that picked that up because like you stated way back at the beginning of that interview, it seemed like there was a lackluster response to that, um, to that particular part of it because what was going on at that time was there was a subcommittee of the commission that was going to look into that more and propose ideas to the commission on steps to take to what we can do specifically here in Redlands to uh, address that issue more. And so my purpose of bringing that up was for that subcommission to look at some ways that the, we can help educate the public more on what hate crimes are. And I'm not sure if the commission as a whole, I know specifically individual commissioners did get the point, but as a whole, I'm not sure the full commission understood it, stood that point. Cause like you said, it seemed like it was a really lackluster response to that. Yeah, there's, there's definitely was missing a sense of urgency. My concern, uh, and this may be something that the Commission can actually address is that the politi there's a risk of politicizing uh, these events and turning them into partisan issues. I'm wondering if maybe the commission could play a role in, particularly with regard to educating people about what hate crimes are and why we have them on the books, uh, why we address this as an issue um, as a society. It might be worthwhile for the commission to reach out to other aspects of the other other corners and nooks and crannies of the community, like churches. You know, touch. You know, reach out to the to church leaders, um, and maybe get into the churches on the subject because lots of people go to the church, uh, and they they aren't all progressives. I'm just the. Other areas, you know, the reaching out to the clubs, the the, community, the social clubs, Rotary, and so on. How would you go about educating the public on this subject? Uh, no, actually, that's a, 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 all those are great, valid points, and and actually those have been brought up um, because, as you said, a lot of people go to church, uh, so reaching out to the churches and also the um, other social clubs and uh, nonprofits and and getting them involved because um, you you def that's definitely a good way to 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 get a massive group of people at, uh, get to a massive group of people at one time and no because no matter what community you're you're involved in and they all especially the churches they all go to church. So that that's um someone actually did bring that up. 
Well, it seems like a great place to find conservatives. It may not be a great place to find progressives who tend to trend, you know, more agnostic or what have you. But it's it's a if you want to reach conservatives, it's not a bad place to start by going to some of the more conservative churches and and because I really really am afraid of 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 what would happen if this you know becomes politicized well you know uh, i think uh, doc, dr martin luther king jr put it best when he said the world is in greater peril from those who do nothing and and, and that's a philosophy that um when i first heard that speech i i totally agree with um and until that, that's why I mentioned community involvement a lot, community education a lot, because and, until community members stop sitting on the sideline and thinking, well, someone else is going to take care of this problem and it can just go away or we can just wait on time and time will solve it. No, it, it has to be us people as a community, as a whole, getting involved. And if you're just sitting on the sidelines watching the parade, um, don't be surprised when the parade is not there to happen because you didn't get involved to help it along. So when it comes to the whole issue of hate crime and races coming together, it takes a community. Any last thoughts? Anything I, anything I missed that I should have asked you, Ken? Uh, no, I would just uh, hope and encourage citizens to get out there, get involved. Don't be afraid to contact their police department, their city council members, find out what's going on, discuss the issues. Uh, if you have an issue with something in your neighborhood, uh, a street light, a sewer that needs to be fixed. Don't hesitate, don't be afraid to call City Hall and say, hey, who do I call about this or that issue? They're there, they're willing to help. They just need the citizens to get involved. You know, get out, get out of your homes, take a walk around, walk around downtown, walk around your neighborhoods, get to know your neighbors, see what's going on. I walk around my neighborhood, I know neighbors that are two, three, four blocks away from me. Cause I, I get out, I walk around and I talk to them. I say hi and strike up conversations and hopefully uh, more of the community will do that. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time and thank you for your service. Participate, you know, on the commission and uh, as a citizen, I appreciate it. And thank you for being a guest. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it.